Can I tell you this? <clears throat> we have a wonderful picture of the absolute sacrifice and love of the Lord Jesus Christ in the picture of the Passover. And as we get down here, we, we got down to about verse number, oh, I think about verse number 18 or so, 19, somewhere down there uh, last week. And so we're going to begin uh, in verse number. Let's back up just a little bit and get uh, a running start in this. I'm going to back up to verse number 13. Well, let's go back to verse 11. I think will be a good place. So, and thus shall you eat it, speaking of the, uh, the sacrifice that was made. With your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. We spoke just briefly on that last week, that the children of Israel, when the Passover took place, they were to be ready to go. We're going to find out here in just a few minutes, as we get across the, the page here, that there was a reason why the children of Israel needed to be ready to go. And can I tell you this? When we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we trust Him, and we are saved and on our way to heaven, from that moment on... We need to be ready to go. We don't know when the Lord's going to come back and return, but we need to be ready to go. Not only do we need to be ready to go in the rapture, but can I tell you this? We need to be ready to go in the area of our service. We need to be prompt. We need to be ready to go out and tell people about the, the, the Word of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there ought to be a, a zeal. There ought to be a joy and an excitement that we have. When, and I don't know about you all. I remember back when I got saved. It was in 1983. And I was 13 years old. I just turned 13 years old. And, boy, that was a long time ago. <laughs> but I, I remember it. Boy, I, I can see it just like it was yesterday. And uh, I was a pastor's son. And I'll be real frank with you. Uh, I had prayed when I was five, four or five years old. And I remember kneeling by the bed with Mom. And she said, had me repeat a prayer after her. And I remember getting baptized. And that was fun. But th there was no decision of faith in any of that. There was no... They was just going through what I thought was a neat thing or a fun thing to do. When I got saved at 13, something changed inside. And I'll never forget it. I, uh, I went to the office, and there was a fellow there by the name of Stu Durstock. And uh, I, I shared an email with him just a year or so ago, letting him know what a blessing it was that he was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit to come and get me out of class. And uh, he had taught a, or preached a, uh, a chapel service in our Christian school. And, uh, boy, I was under such conviction. Had been under conviction for a number of months. And I remember the day that he came to my class, pulled me down to his office, and he was our principal. So if you got called to the principal's office, it was usually to get a paddling. And uh, I, was, I was sweating bullets coming down to his office thinking, what did I do now? Because uh, my dad was the pastor at that church that had the school. And I found this out early in life, that when I got in trouble at school, I got in trouble at home. And sometimes before I got home, because my dad used to know before I got to the principal's office that I was already in trouble. I don't know how that happened. But I remember going to his office. I was sitting there. I can still picture the chair I was sitting in. I remember him asking me if he wanted my dad to come and be a part of helping me get saved and, and me going through that process of putting my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll be honest with you. Before I ever knelt by that chair and prayed a sinner's prayer, I believe I was already saved because my act of faith had already been done. In my heart, I had already trusted God for my salvation. And uh, I remember getting up off of my knees that day, and something was different. And uh, back then, I was in, uh, let's see, 83. I would have been in 7th grade, maybe 8th grade. And uh, 
I remember every morning in homeroom, they had one of the kids, and they just rotated. They had one of the kids get up and read a verse of Scripture and then pray with the class, and then we pledged the flags and everything. And I'll never forget that first day after I got saved, the next morning I came in. I had read my Bible that night because I wanted to. You remember that? You remember those days? It wasn't a, it wasn't a drudgery to read Scripture. You did it because there was great joy in it. And, man, I read my Bible for the first time and loved it. And, man, I, I, I saw things in there I'd never seen before. It was like, wow, this is neat. So the next morning I went to class, and in the homeroom I went to the teacher. I said, boy, I, can I do the devotion today? I found something last night, and this is exciting. And she said, yeah, that'll be great. And so I did the devotion, and, and then that night I went and I read my Bible again. You know what? There was something else in there I hadn't seen before. And for a whole week, I, I mean, I, I, every morning I said, can I do the devotion? I, I want to do it. I'm volunteering to do it. And I wanted to do it. There was a joy there, wasn't there? Can I tell you this? That when we get saved, we need to remember the zeal that we had to serve the Lord. We wanted to tell everybody we could. We wanted to share the gospel everywhere we went. And here the, the children of Israel, they're getting ready to, to have this Passover. And Moses instructs them, says, listen, when you take this thing, I want you to be ready to go. I mean, I want you to hit the ground running. I love the story of uh, Jonah. Y'all know the story of Jonah? When he gets spit up on the, he gets spit up on the dry land. Uh, man, he, he makes a three-day journey in one day. I mean, he hit the ground running. He wasn't even looking back, was he? He was ready to go. Can I tell you this? There needs to be revival in, in God's people's hearts today. I don't know why it is that over time we tend to lose some of that joy, some of that zeal, some of that excitement. But what a great work God has done in our lives. And when we get to serve God, it is not because it's our duty or because He has commanded us and we have to obey. It's because there's a great privilege tied to it. There's great joy. There's great love in serving Him. And the the Bible teaches here very clearly that these children of Israel were instructed, hey, when this Passover takes place, I want you all to be ready to go. I want your feet shot. I want you ready to roll. Have everything packed up. And so we find here in verse number 13, let's go back to verse number 12. He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. I want to just say this. Every house in Egypt and every house in Goshen saw death that night. Every one of them. He said, Brother Greg, what about the Israelites? They didn't see death. Yes, they did. They did. They had to go and take a lamb. They had to slay a lamb in their place. Can I tell you this? That we ought not ever think that our salvation is free. It was bought at a great price. And while we rejoice in God's grace that we don't have to go through it, let me make sure that we understand this very vividly. Death was still required. The sin that I committed still resulted in death. 
And I, I think sometimes in reading this story, we think, boy, the Egyptians, they, they, or the Israelites, they didn't have to go through this. Oh, but there was still death in the family, wasn't there? There was still death in that house. Oh, that we would understand the great, great price. I, I know we know it. We put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. I hope we know it. If we, if we don't, then I don't know how we can be saved not realizing that great price. But how often do we reflect on that? If that doesn't cause our hearts to love God more, I don't know what, what would. To realize that for my sin, death still had to come. It just doesn't come to me. And while I'm thankful for it, I hope we never lose our gratitude for it. Uh, my kids, especially my younger ones, youngest one mostly, doesn't realize that when we walk into a restaurant, somebody's got to pay the bill. Never dawns on him. We go in, we eat, we stand up, and he goes out to the truck. He doesn't know what happens over the next three or four minutes while I'm standing in there paying the bill. He wouldn't know what happened. We laugh and we chuckle at that. But you know, in our Christian life, if we're not careful, we'll become so accustomed to the fact that we don't have to pay the price. That we forget that a price still had to be paid. And it had to be paid by a God that loved us unconditionally. I mean, it's overwhelming to me. Here's a God that didn't look at lovable creatures and say, I love them. He didn't look at creatures that loved Him at the time and loved them. The Bible says that He loved us even when we were unlovely. He loved us when we were sinners. Oh, that we would never, never get over the fact that death still had to come. And a price still had to be paid. I'm thankful for God's mercy. And the greatest act of grace that God has ever given to you and I is that He gives us His mercy. He paid the payment for us. He does not make us pay for our own sin. And boy, I'm forever grateful for that. And I hope you are too. If there, there's, there's no other reason in the world for you and I to love God more, that ought to be enough in and of itself. If there's no other reason for you and I to look at the opportunity to serve Him as something that we get to do because we love Him so much, that reason right there ought to be just enough. What a great God we have. The Bible says in verse number 13, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by, the, by an ordinance forever. And I want us to understand this, that the Lord Jesus had a desire to be in Jerusalem for this, for this memorial. For the Passover. He met with his disciples and he started a brand new ordinance. <laughs> we don't observe the Passover anymore. 
But now we observe the ordinance that the Lord Jesus established, which was a covenant meal that He was making as He was establishing the new covenant. He says, I'm not going to eat of this bread or drink of this wine until I eat it and drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What a great picture. Now we're to observe those things. It's to be memorial to us. And we have on our communion table a verse of Scripture that's so often quoted as we take of the Lord's Supper. It says, This do in remembrance of me. Can I tell you this? What great joy it is for us to remember the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the shed blood at Calvary. It does us well to remember the token of the covenant, the new covenant, the price that had been paid. And I'll tell you what a, what a thrill it is as we remember those things. I want you to notice he says, verse number 15, Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread, even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off uh, from Israel. By the way, let me just say this. When we come to the Lord's table, the Bible teaches us that let a man first, what? Examine himself, doesn't he? He, he looks inwardly. Am I eating unworthily? Am I drinking unworthily? And having examined ourselves, we are to get those things right. I've heard people over the years, as I've pastored, I've had a few people do it, that have left the building after we've had the Lord's Supper. And they'd shaken my hand and they've said, Pastor, I, uh, I didn't partake of the, the Lord's Supper tonight because there are some things in my life. Can I tell you, that was never the intent of examining ourselves. Examining ourselves was never to keep people from the Lord's Supper. It was a time for us to examine ourselves and get those things right so that we could come to the Lord's Supper. Because the Bible tells us, let a man examine himself and then partake. Oh, aren't we glad we have a forgiving God? A God of second chances, a God who gives grace that we can examine ourselves. God establishes in the Old Testament a seven-day feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He says, during this time, I want you to examine some things. He taught that leaven later on, and certainly in the New Testament, it was certainly understood by the Jews that the idea of leaven in the, in the lump was a, a sign of sin, an indication of sin in life. There was not to be any defilement. Jesus, even all the way back at the Old Testament, establishes that there was to be a time of examination. This time of unleavened bread, a time of thinking and meditating upon their own hearts and lives. The Bible says, And in the first day there shall be a holy convocation. The seventh day there shall also shall be a holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat. And only that only may be done of you. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for I for in the selfsame day that I brought you brought <laughs> let's try that again. For in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. In the first month on the fourteenth day of the month at even ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twenty uh, one and twentieth 
day of the month at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. Boy, I love that phrase. We find as we get to verse 19, the first inklings of the idea that this wasn't only for those that were natural born Israelites. Notice he says this, Ye shall eat nothing leavened, and all your habitation shall ye eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of this house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And we see the blood on the lintel. And on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. Can I tell you this? There's going to come a day where God is going to give His wrath on this earth. There's going to come a day when the destroyer is going to go through the land. And when God sees the blood, we're not going to have to go through that wrath. Aren't you glad of that? We're exempt. Doesn't happen. But those those that are not under the blood are going to face the wrath of God. And while we as God's people ought rejoice in the fact that we have escaped, may we also be convicted that there are those who need to also know of this great gift. Whether they are Israelites or whether they are strangers that put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this, not just the Jews, but even the Gentiles have been given this wonderful gift. And aren't we glad of that? We've been grafted in. We've been given the opportunity to trust Christ as our Savior. It's not the only the children of Israel that get to partake of this. One of the great travesties is that we often rejoice in the fact that we are escaping the wrath of God. But we fail to sorrow at those who won't. May God give us back our compassion, our burden for the lost, for those that one day, if they are not given to the, the, the putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to given to the point of salvation that they are trusting the Lord to take them to heaven. Folks, one day they're going to face the wrath of God. And you and I have been left in this world after we have been saved for no other reason than to be a light to them, to show forth the light of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me, the Bible says in verse number 24, And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. We find here an indication that this is to be passed down from generation to generation. Can I tell you the greatest ministry you and I have is to our own family first. If I preach... 
40 years, 50 years, and see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people trust Christ as their Savior. And I lose those three. They are sitting in the back. Then I have failed. Because our responsibility is to raise our families in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I'm thankful that God gives us a privilege to serve and reach others. But can I tell you this, that the first obligation I have as a Christian is to make sure my children know how to be saved. To make sure they've trusted Christ as their Savior. To make sure that they love God in such a way that they're willing to make sure that their children know. And they have a burden to make sure that their children trust Christ as their Savior. I've seen a lot of folks over the years that have been so focused on their ministry that they've allowed their families to go by the wayside. They've allowed their children not to realize and understand the love of God for them. May God help us with that. I don't think any one of my three children would tell you that their dad has not spent time trying to encourage them in the things of the Lord. Trying to show them and teach them these things. The Bible says in verse number 25, And it shall come to pass when ye come to the land which the Lord will give you according as He hath promised. And by the way, God always is a God of His Word, isn't He? Hey, Amen. Let me rephrase that. God always is a God of His Word. Amen. Wow. I almost feel like we're in a Baptist church. God is always a God of His Word. Amen. He is. There we go. All right. I know it's early, but not that early. I love the fact that God, when He says something, will do it. Faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. The fact that you and I have been saved, and when He says He's the surety of our salvation, you can mark it down. He is the surety of our salvation. And it shall come to pass when your children say unto you, What mean ye by this service? In other words, every year when we observe this thing, they were saying, and your children ask, Why are we doing this? Why are we killing the lamb? Why are we doing all this? He says, When your children say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That you say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and the people bowed the head and worshipped. Maybe one of these days we'll preach on that. There were two things here that took place. There was a humbling of themselves, and there was an exalting of the Lord Jesus Christ. They exalted God, and they bowed their head in submission to Him. I love the idea. We talk about, uh, in fact, there's a song we used to sing many years ago, and you oftentimes do for invitation. I surrender all. I surrender all. And I think if there's no other option, that we need to be willing to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ in all aspects of our life. But I heard a fellow say this a number of years ago. Brother Andy, I think, Casey was the one that I heard it from first. He said, wouldn't it be far better if we would yield to the Lord Jesus Christ rather than surrender? I remember the first time hearing that, I thought, well, why? You know, why not? And they said this. 
The idea of surrender is you have fought, you have struggled, and finally, with no other alternative, you surrender. Wouldn't it be far better if we never fought or struggled to begin with? We just simply came to Him and said, Lord, I'm yielding myself to You. I love in the Old Testament how many times the Lord comes to Old Testament saints and He calls them by name. Abraham, Samuel. And you know what their response is? Here am I. Oh, what a thought. What a thought. Well, we'll cut off there and we'll pick up there next week. Uh, I love, I love this portion of the book of Exodus. Well, what a joy it is to study these things. Let's be uh, dismissed in a word of prayer, and we'll be back in a few moments here. Father, we're so thankful for your word. What a joy it is to our hearts. I pray that you would help to guide and direct us. Lord, may you speak to us throughout this day as we have the different messages. Lord, I pray that you would guide my heart, my thoughts, and I pray that you would help at the onset, before we ever even get to the next service, that you would help us in our hearts to purpose to yield ourselves to you, to the leading of your Holy Spirit, that we would be sensitive to it. That we would come looking for something in this service to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.